Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. Let's get our Bibles tonight. Let's go to the book of Acts, and Acts chapter number 9. That's where we're going to be tonight. And Caleb, why don't you come and give us the message God's given to you. Whenever he said the teens are singing here, I heard a no. I hope that wasn't because you had to hear me preach tonight. I hope that was because you actually just wanted to go out with the teens. Uh, But thank you, Pastor, for the invite and the opportunity to preach. Um, I enjoy preaching the Word of God. I enjoy studying the Word of God. It wasn't that way for me always. Uh, There was a time in my life where I did feel like God wanted me to preach, but I didn't know what that meant, and I wasn't where I needed to be spiritually. So uh, I went through a stretch of my life where, honestly, I hated doing it. Uh, But God worked in my life about six years ago when I was at a different Christian college in Indiana, and uh, I love preaching the Word of God, and uh, thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity. I gave you some information about kind of what we're going to be doing and how we're going to be reaching people, but I want to tell you, I got one, but I'll take two. Thank you. I want to tell you kind of some of the ways that God has already blessed, uh, really financially, uh, over the last couple of months, really the last 12 months. You saw in the video that we were at my dad's church for three years. We served on staff there. Uh, and then we started deputation about 13 months ago. And, um, of course, going to the San Francisco Bay Area, we recognized that it was going to be a huge financial task, a, a huge undertaking. Uh, so we kind of did some research. We talked to some people who lived in the Bay Area. And we determined a number of money, a, amount of money that we needed to go start the church in California. Well, our sending church... Um, is Fellowship Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina. They're a 64-year-old church, uh, and they had never had somebody who grew up in their church to be sent out by their church. So this was a new concept for them. This was new for, for my dad as a pastor of 32 years. This was new for us. Um, we, ha- we have no idea what we're doing, by the way, okay? Uh, and that's why we enjoy talking to uh, uh, people like Pastor here because of the experience that he has with church planning, which really has been our greatest resource. But there are times along this journey where we're, we're thinking, man, Seriously, God, do you want us to do this because we feel like we have no idea what we're doing? Uh, We're just kind of taking this one step at a time. And it was kind of the same thing for my dad and our sending church. And so what he did was he opened it up for individuals to commit financially on an individual level. That way it wasn't on him because it would look a little biased with me being his son if he was like, yeah, let's just fully support him. Uh, He wanted to do that. So individuals committed individuals committed to give about 30% of what we need financially, uh, which was huge, absolutely huge. And so it gave us the, the financial boost that we needed right away 13 months ago. Uh, and even over the last 13 months, and even over the last seven months since COVID hit, it's been amazing to see how God has provided. Uh, we actually didn't lose any of our supporting churches over the last seven months. Uh, we gained close to 15 new supporting churches over the last seven months. Um, and then about a month and a half ago, there was a church planner who had started a church down in Murrieta, California, and um, COVID hit, and they got kind of booted out of their place where they were renting. It was in a school, uh, and from what I understand, they kind of went from place to place to place. Well, unfortunately, it got to the point where they had to close their church down permanently, and he called me about a month and a half ago and told me the news, uh, and, and I hate it for them because they were pouring their lives into the people there in that community uh, but they actually are going to give us all of their equipment that they used inside the school. Uh, so it's a 10-foot enclosed trailer. It includes sound equipment, lighting, pipe and drape, nursery toys, signage. 
Um, I haven't seen it personally because it's down in Lancaster, but I've had two people look at it, and they guess that it's around $15,000 worth of equipment. Uh, and so it's just it's amazing to see how the Lord has blessed, uh, even before we get out there, uh, kind of with the story that Mike has shared. Uh, God is already working on hearts of the people there in that city that I can't pronounce, okay? Uh, he's already working on hearts of the people there. And we, that's evident by the story that he shared. Uh, and, and how many times have we been in that situation where, man, I don't want to go up that long driveway. Micah, you're a better person than me because I probably wouldn't have gone up that driveway, all right? But it's cool to see how God is already working on hearts of people in that city. And we truly believe that he's already working on the hearts of the city that we're going to go to to start a church. And, man, we just can't, we can't wait to get there. But I want to kind of give you our timeline. I didn't give that to you earlier. But like I said, financially, we're at 78% of what we need. Uh, we believe we can be to 85% by December, and so we want to move to California in December. Again, we lived in North Carolina for three years, so all our stuff is there. Move to California in December, uh, and we're going to start the church next October, so about a year from now. And here's the reason why we're going to be there for about 10 months before we start the church. Number one is so we can raise the rest of the support, because again, like I said, I think we'll be at 85 by December, uh, and that's just a guess, of course. I'd raise the other 15% of the support. Number two, just get used to the culture there. As I said earlier, it's a very unique place. It's very multicultural. Uh, there aren't really going to be many language barriers that we have to cross over because most of the people do speak English. But there are some cultural barriers that we're going to have to navigate around. Um, and, and, and those of you who lived in California, you understand that even from Lancaster, it's very, very different from Lancaster, the San Francisco Bay Area is. Uh, and then I don't even have to say it, but it's different than Durham, North Carolina. All right, I'm a North Carolina boy. Um, all my experience in California is my few years at West Coast. So it's going to be a cultural adjustment for us that we're going to have to get used to. So those 10 months, we'll just use that time to kind of infiltrate the community, start meeting people in the community, figure out many different ways to meet new people, start building those relationships. But then thirdly is we want to start a Bible study as early as probably March. Uh, and and the, the purpose of this Bible study is, number one, just to meet people uh, who are interested in learning more about God's word, but two, to start discipling people. Uh, and start meeting them and helping them grow in that relationship with Jesus. And that'll take place maybe on a Thursday night like you guys do here. Um, and, and, of course, that'll take place perhaps in a, in a Starbucks coffee shop or Panera Bread or if we can find some office room to rent or something. Um, but the purpose of that is so we can have a, a core group with us when we start next October. Um, and, and, and just to that point, God has already worked in two families uh, to help us when we start next October who already live in the Bay Area of California um, that's kind of been our prayer since the beginning because you guys live in Washington State, so you just don't know what it's like to be telling people about San Francisco when you're all the way like in Alabama or in North Carolina. Because when you're in the deep south uh, or just in North Carolina and you tell people you're going to San Francisco, uh, you get all kinds of responses. You get all kinds of responses. So uh, I do believe that God can still work on hearts of people anywhere in this country to come help us. Uh, but we have been praying that God will work on hearts of the people who already live in the Bay Area uh, because they have a house, they have a job, they're living, they're surviving, and he's already done that with two different families. And that wasn't anything we said to them. Uh, both of them just saw us, post on, saw us post on social media, and they reached out to us, one in person, one on social media, and said, hey, we, we, as soon as you guys announced this, we started praying about this. Uh, we do believe God is going to have us come help you whenever you start. So uh, just some really awesome things that are already happening for the church plan in California. But again, uh, we're excited, uh, just like Mike is excited, and I hope you would jump in and, and be a part of that launch team uh, or launch weeks uh, in November over at Ridgecrest, because that's exciting stuff. 
Uh, and maybe some of you were here whenever um, uh, Moses Lake started back nine and a half years ago. Um, but man, I, I just wish, okay, so Dennis raised his hand. Well, you were five years old, right? So you were definitely here. Uh, so I'm just, it's exciting to see how God has blessed Moses Lake uh, in many different ways, but it's super exciting to see how God has blessed Moses Lake and has led you guys to start a new church uh, over in the city that I can't pronounce, all right? Um, so we're excited for you guys here at Moses Lake, and we're excited for uh, Ridgecrest and the future for that young church plant. Uh, as Pastor said, if you would turn your Bibles tonight to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at just two verses tonight, verses 26 and 27. How many of you, you come from a past, perhaps where you did not grow up in church? Uh, maybe you came from a, a family that, uh, you want to say it was a Christian family, uh, and obviously those can look, every individual is going to look different, but how many of you would just raise your hand and say, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I didn't grow up going to church? Okay, so maybe about 25% of the room tonight. Obviously, your upbringing is different than my upbringing. I grew up in a pastor's home. I'm 28 years old. My dad's been a pastor for 32 years. I was literally born into the church. Um, I went to the, the academy there, uh, K-5 to 12th grade. So I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I spent seven days a week at the church. Uh, and so that's really all I knew. And so whenever I think about people who don't have that upbringing, uh, I wish sometimes that I could have experienced that a little bit. And here's why, because I do believe that people who have uh, maybe a, a background of not growing up in a Christian home have an opportunity to reach people in ways that people like me can never reach. I don't know where you came from. I don't know what it was like to live in, in a non-Christian home. But I want all of you who raised your hand, and I'm gonna address the rest of you too, but I want all of you to raise, who raised your hand to think back to the first time that you stepped foot into church. Maybe you were a teenager, maybe you were a kid, uh, maybe you were an adult. If you were an adult, you probably remember what it was like that first time stepping into a church atmosphere after growing up in a, in a non-Christian home where maybe there was no copy of God's word. God was never even mentioned, at least in any positive light. Think back to that day. And for the rest of us, I want you to put yourself in their shoes or perhaps the shoes of someone right now who is not a Christian. They, they, don't, they don't go to church on a weekly basis. I want you to put yourself in their shoes and envision yourself coming to church for the first time. Again, you've never stepped foot inside a church auditorium. Perhaps you've never even heard anybody speak from God's word. You've never heard the songs that are saying inside that auditorium. It, it would probably be pretty uncomfortable at first. It would probably be a little awkward, a little weird at first, Right? And there would be this huge chasm that you're trying to cross over. Maybe you want to be a part. Maybe you see that church family and you think, hey, I would love to, to be a part of that church family. I would love to be a part of what they're doing, helping people in the community. I would love to be a part of the fellowship that they get to experience week in and week out. But yet there's this huge chasm between me and them, and I just don't know how to get across to the other side. Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27 kind of tell us, of an individual, we know him as Paul. In this passage, he's known as Saul. But we see he was kind of in this situation. He was in a position where he wanted to be a part of what was happening there in Jerusalem. But there was this large chasm to cross over. And I think all of us would understand why there was a large chasm. We look at his past and what he did. As a matter of fact, we're, we're, we're introduced to Paul or Saul at this time in Acts chapter seven, verse 58, 
when Stephen is stoned to death and Stephen's clothes are laid at his feet. And then look at verse, I'm sorry, Acts chapter eight and verse number one, if you would. So we're introduced to Saul in Acts 7, 58. And then we see him again in verse one of of chapter eight. It says this, Acts eight, verse one, and Saul was consenting unto his death. It basically means he was okay with it. He He was fine with what had happened. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Uh, Skip verse 2. Look at verse 3, if you would. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. I just want to pause right here and just talk about that verse for a moment. Again, you look at what's happening in California, perhaps in places in Washington State, where there is some government overreach, and I think it's wrong. I do. But just be thankful tonight that we are not in a place where this is happening to us. Although we can mention churches in California, and again, like I said, perhaps in Washington State and in other states, where there is some government interference, and it shouldn't be happening. But at least we're not in this position where people are coming into our homes, taking us away and throwing us into prison for worshiping our God. So be thankful for that tonight. And we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what's going to happen 12 months from now, 12 years from now. We don't know if our religious liberties are going to be taken away from us. But just for now, for today, be thankful that you get to worship him freely. And that you, as Moses Lake Baptist Church, get to come together and worship together freely. But this wasn't happening in these days. Christians began to scatter throughout the world, right? Because they were being persecuted in Jerusalem. And we know that Saul was kind of at the forefront of this. He was kind of leading the way with this persecution of Christians. Now skip over to chapter 9 and verse 1. Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if they found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So Saul goes to the high priest and says, Uh, Saul's not content with what's happening just in Jerusalem, right? The Christians are scattered from Jerusalem. And Saul says, that's not enough for me. I want to go, I want to follow them, and I want to find them and bring them back to Jerusalem. And so he says, can I go all the way to Damascus? Can you give me permission to take these Christians from Damascus and bring them back to Jerusalem and throw them into prison? And so we see some of Saul's past here. We see that in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, and we'll get to that verse in a second, but we see that uh, he was trying to be a part of what was going on, but man, he had a rough past. And there was this huge chasm for him to try to cross over, and he had a difficult time doing it. And we're going to look at that in a second. We've been on deputation for 13 months now, and we don't have any kids, so we do recognize that gives us some flexibility and some freedom. And so what we do is we take advantage of that. And so we go see cool things whenever we're close to cool things, all right? Um, So if you know of anything pretty neat to see in Moses Lake, let us know because we'll probably go check it out tomorrow. But one of those things that we do, that we saw was when we were in Beckley, West Virginia. I see some people laughing, so I don't know if that means there's nothing cool to see in Moses Lake. Uh, You're like, yeah, the lake, go see the lake. Uh, So one of those things that we saw uh, when we were in West Virginia was the New River Gorge Bridge. Has anybody ever been to Beckley, West Virginia? I know we're a long ways. Okay, one pastor. Um, Have you ever seen the bridge, the New River Gorge Bridge? Okay, if you could put the picture up, the first picture that we have tonight, this is the New River Gorge Bridge, okay? Uh, And this is down from the river, obviously, where I took the picture. 
Uh, it, it may not look very big to you, but just to kind of help you understand, right in the center of that bridge, you can see there's a tiny little speck. That's actually a semi-truck, okay? That just kind of shows you just how high up this bridge is. It's just this massive, massive bridge. As a matter of fact, it's the longest single arch bridge in the Western Hemisphere. It's the third longest single arch bridge in the world. It's the third highest bridge in the United States, 13th in the world, and it's the second highest vehicle-carrying bridge in the U.S., fifth in the world. Just this massive, massive bridge. If we got to that one side there in Becca, West Virginia, and that bridge did not exist, uh, it would be a long journey to get to the other side, right? We'd have to hike all the way down to the river and all the way back up. I would imagine that hike would probably take maybe three or four hours. Uh, but you know what? Having that bridge there, it just made it so much easier, right? It saved us so much time. It saved, it saved us so much effort. Uh, and Autumn, Autumn, I like to see cool things, and sometimes you like to hike. Okay, we have to be in the right mood to hike, all right? Uh, we've made some mistakes with hiking, uh, but we probably would not have gone to the other side if that bridge was not there. But super high bridge, very, very far across. I'm going to give you some more information about that bridge in a second. But the title of my message tonight is this, Crossing the Chasm. Crossing the Chasm. And when we were there in Beckley, West Virginia, again, like I said, if we looked over, if we looked over to the other side, and we had a desire to get to their side, uh, we probably would not have crossed to get to their side if that bridge were not there. But thankfully, it was. And, and Saul here in this story, he's wanting to be a part of what's happening. As a matter of fact, number one tonight is this, the desire to be on the other side. The desire to be on the other side. Look at verse 26, if you would, of Acts chapter 9. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. That word assayed means he tried. He tried. He wanted to be a part of what they were doing. He wanted to be a disciple with the other disciples. We see there was a desire to be on the other side. Now, I find it very, very interesting that he chose to come back to Jerusalem. Okay, we saw in verses 1 and 2, again, we saw that he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. And he, he asked the high priest for permission to go all the way to Damascus to bring people back to Jerusalem. Damascus was 135 miles away from Jerusalem. So you see how, how, uh, how purposeful it was for, for Saul here. He was like, I'm going to go to Damascus. I just need permission to bring these Christians back and throw them into prison. Of course, we know the rest of the story. We see throughout this chapter that he, on the road to Damascus, he met Jesus and he was gloriously saved. And what does it say? He actually still went to Damascus. And I think the whole story is amazing as it plays out. He went to Damascus to, to find Christians there, to bring them back to prison. And yet when he's in Damascus, he ends up preaching Christ to people in Damascus. Just an incredible transformation. So what happens? The Jews there in Damascus are, are kind of confused. What's going on with this guy? He, I thought he was one of us. I thought he was helping us to get rid of these Christians. And so what do they do? They, they try to threaten him. They go after him. And so what does Saul do? He flees. He flees Damascus. And we're skipping all the verses here, but you can read it, verses 3 all the way verses uh, through 25. So he fled Damascus because the Jews there were trying to, take, trying to get him. But where did he go back to? He went back to Jerusalem. I thought this was very interesting because think about his history in Jerusalem. Think about what he had already done in Jerusalem. No, undoubtedly, there were kids there who had witnessed Saul throw their parents into prison. Certainly, there were wives there who had perhaps uh, uh, watched as Saul allowed for their husbands to be murdered. And yet, he still went back 
to Jerusalem. You see, he stepped out of his comfort zone. He stepped out of his comfort zone. Probably, I wouldn't say every church, but most of the churches that we've been to on deputation have told me or us that it's been amazing to see how God has worked throughout the last seven months. And for sure, whenever COVID hit back in March, every single pastor, every single church wondered what's going to happen, right? Not just church, every individual thought that. But a lot of pastors and churches wonder what's going to happen. Okay, so we got two weeks, and then we're going to come back together. We can do two weeks. And those two weeks turn into, you know, two months and so on and so forth. But one thing, and it's been pretty common in a lot of the churches we've been to, one thing that we have heard time and time again is how God has actually used this season to help churches grow. Whether it be financially, whether it be numerically. And there have been churches, obviously, I know a lot of churches still aren't back to where the attendance that they had before COVID. But it's been amazing to see how God has used the live stream tool to reach people. My dad, my dad, who pastors again for, has pastored for 32 years, they started meeting in person uh, maybe about three and a half months ago. And he said just about every Sunday they've had visitors since they opened back up. And he said many of them, many of them found our church during COVID and they watched one of our live stream messages. And we've heard that, that story, that same story time and time and time again over the last three or four months. Well, certainly many of these churches that have had live stream services have preached a gospel message. And certainly there have been people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their savior because of the message that was preached on live stream. Now, let me ask you this. And I understand that uh, when it comes to being a part of the family of God, church membership is not a necessity. You don't have to join a church to be saved. I think you would all agree with me on that. And we understand that the, the, the bridge to the family of God, crossing that chasm, it can only be done by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. There's nothing you or I could do. There's nothing you or I could do to help somebody. We can point them to the cross, but to cross that chasm, it requires what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Many of, many of us have probably seen the picture of, of, of one side of a mountain and another, and there's a valley, and the cross gets stuck in the middle, uh, and there's an animation of a person walking across. So I'm not talking about that chasm tonight. I'm talking about perhaps there have been people in Moses Lake who tuned in for one of your live stream services, heard pastor preach a gospel message, accepted Jesus Christ as their savior, and now they wanna be a part of what's happening in Moses Lake. Maybe not just that. Maybe there's people in your community who maybe have not watched live stream, but uh, they do believe in a God and they wanna know how they can be a part of this church family. But you know what? Again, those of you who have been in that position where you stepped into a church for the first time, and you weren't born, you didn't grow up in a church like I did, you understand that sometimes that's stepping out of their comfort zone. When somebody comes to Moses Lake and they've never heard a gospel song, right? They've never heard a message from God's word. They come here, they don't have their Sunday bests. They're gonna be stepping out of their comfort zone. Saul here was stepping out of his comfort zone. He was going back to a place where he had a pretty rough history. Another thing to think about Saul here is this, is that he was carrying some heavy baggage. We've already addressed that. He was carrying some heavy baggage. People who come into your church, many people who come into your church, perhaps this Sunday morning, they're gonna be carrying some heavy baggage. They have a past of bad decisions. They have a life of, that's not very pleasing to God. And they're gonna be carrying some heavy baggage. But you know what? Perhaps they just want to be accepted. Perhaps they just wanna be united with your church family. 
We see that here with Saul. He was carrying some heavy baggage. He was stepping out of his comfort zone, but he just wanted to be a part. We see that in verse 26. It says he essayed. Again, he tried to join himself to the disciples. Number two is this, the difficulty of getting to the other side. The difficulty of getting to the other side. That New River Gorge Bridge, the height of it is 876 feet. The length of it is 3,030 feet. Again, if it wasn't there, it would be a difficult process for us to get to the other side. We see here in Acts chapter 9 and verse 26, look at the second part of the verse if you would. Again, he tried to be with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They were afraid of him. They didn't like what they saw. And to be completely honest with you, I don't know that I would be any different. Knowing his past, knowing what he had done, I think I would be a little afraid of him too. But they didn't like what they saw. Another thing that they didn't do is they didn't regard what had happened on the inside. We can read through Acts 9 and see what happened, but they were only looking at him as a man. They were only focused on the exterior. We live in a motorhome full-time in deputation. And uh, the story behind it, I won't get into details, but it belonged to Autumn's grandparents. And it kind of sat there for about five years. It had low mileage. When we started this process of deputation, uh, um, her parents offered for us to use the motorhome on deputation. Um, my first thought was, okay, that's not the picture. What do you guys think about that? All right. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. We're going to come back to that. Just keep it up there. Just keep it up there. Okay. This, yeah, this was in uh, Tucson, Arizona. That is not our ride, okay? Uh, although um, I would be pretty embarrassed if it was. Oh, that's pretty cool. They got a car right on top ready to go whenever they want to just hit the road outside of the motorhome. They just hop in their little buggy, right? Uh, but whenever I got the picture of our motorhome, and you can go going back to the bridge because if, if you don't, then everybody's just going to be watching that and not listening to me. So <clears throat> whenever she first told us, Autumn's mom, about the motorhome, um, I began to think, that's pretty cool. I think I would like to do that. Uh, because that way we don't have to uh, stay in, in people's houses. And that, listen, that's not always bad, but sometimes it can get a little creepy, okay? Uh, and we have stayed in a couple of people's houses. For us, we've been fortunate. We haven't had any bad experiences, but we've heard some horror stories, okay? Uh, but we wouldn't have to stay in anybody's houses. We would have our own house, our own home, our own privacy. Uh, we wouldn't have to live out of suitcases. We could just, all our clothes are inside the motorhome. And so we're like, yeah, that, that sounds pretty fun. Well, she sent us a picture of the motorhome, and it was a gloomy day there in Lancaster, California. The hubcaps, the hubcaps on the motorhome were missing, and the first picture she sent to us, man, it looked rough. It looked rough. And then I was like, babe, I don't know if we should do this. I don't know if I want to pull up into a church property in this thing. Well, we found the, motor, we found the hubcaps. We got it buffed out. We waxed it up, and it looks really good, but it is still dated. Okay, it is still dated. It's a 1999 uh, and so the exterior reflects 1999. It's a little dated. But what, one of the first things we did whenever we got that motorhome about 13 months ago was uh, we renovated the inside of it. So we repainted everything. We changed the flooring out. We reupholstered everything. Uh, and honestly, the inside looks more like 2020. But the outside still looks like 1999. If you go to that third picture now. Okay, the third, now this is the back of it, this one right here. Not the one on the right, all right, not the one on the right. The one on the left is ours. It's a 1999, okay? Now, when you're looking at that 1999, you're thinking, man, that's pretty dated. I don't know if I want to live in that. And you probably think the inside also looks like 1999. Now, this picture is kind of funny because uh, sometimes we do what's called dry camping. Does anybody know what dry camping is? Okay, boondocking. Uh, basically, it just means that we don't have any hookups. We don't plug into electricity. We don't plug up to, hook up to water. 
we just go to a random place and just park the camper and sleep for the night, okay? Walmarts, some Walmarts offer it, some Cracker Barrels offer it, and so this was a Cracker Barrel. Well, we did this probably a month and a half ago. I woke up the next day and stepped out of my 1999 Lazy Days motorhome to see this Tiffin motorhome. If you know anything about Tiffin motorhomes, they cost around $350,000 for the motorhome. All right, now, whenever you're looking at these two motorhomes, you're probably thinking, uh, I, man, I bet the inside of that Tiffin is way better than the inside of that Lazy Days, okay? And honestly, it may be just because it's a little more expensive, but honestly, the inside of our motorhome, we love it. We have absolutely fallen in love with it. Autumn is great at what she does with this kind of stuff. Uh, but the point of all that is that whenever you look at the exterior of our 1999 Lazy Days, you probably do not think the inside uh, matches the age. Why? Because most of us, we only judge the book by its cover, right? We don't, we don't have any regard for what could actually be on the inside. And these disciples here, they were afraid of Paul, and it says they believed not that he was a disciple. They were only focused on his exterior. They had no regard for the interior. So we see the difficulty of getting to the other side, the difficulty of getting to their side. He was trying to cross this chasm. He wanted to be a part of what was happening. He had a desire to be on the other side, but there was some difficulty there. But good news for Saul is in verse 27, if you would look at it with me. Acts 9, 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Now, the rest of Acts gives us some more information about Barnabas. We know that his name means the son of consolation, which means encouragement. He was an encourager. And we see that he was a disciple of Christ. And we see that he did different things that made it very evident that he wanted to serve God and he wanted to serve others. And we could spend more time talking about Barnabas tonight, but the point that I'm mentioning about him tonight is this, is that there was some assistance to get to their side. You see, Barnabas knew what Saul needed. Barnabas knew what Saul needed. It says here that he brought him to the apostles. Of course, the apostles had some authority, right? And so I believe that Barnabas knew if he could convince the apostles, then he could probably convince the other disciples. Some of you, especially those of you who have a past where you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Whenever somebody steps into these doors for the first time, you know exactly what they need. You know exactly how they're feeling whenever they step out of their comfort zone by coming to a church for the first time. And you know exactly what they need. You see, Barnabas knew exactly what Saul needed. He brought him to the apostles. And what did he do? He confirmed the transformation. He confirmed the transformation. Here's some practical things. If somebody comes to your church, they visit for the first time, and you introduce yourself to them, and they introduce themselves to you, and, and they say, and you, long story short, but you get to the point where, yes, they've accepted Christ as their Savior. They're a child of God. Well, ask them to share that testimony with you. These are just some practical ways to help somebody to get to their side. Ask that person to share their testimony with you. Secondly, get excited about it. Be excited about what God has done in their life, how he has transformed their life. And then thirdly, just like Barnabas did here, tell others about their transformation. You don't just get excited about it. Get others excited about what God has done in the life of that new believer. You see, Barnabas knew exactly what he needed. He brought him to the apostles, and then he confirmed the transformation. He said, look what God has done in his life. Don't look at Saul just as a man. Look at what God has done on the inside. You see, there was some assistance to get to the other side. Again, crossing the chasm, for some of us, like myself, 
I grew up on the other side, right? So I never had to cross that chasm. And our desire is to reach, when we go to the Bay Area, is to reach the unchurched population. I'll be very transparent with you. I think that's going to be one of the challenges for us. Because we both grew up in churches, in well-established churches. I grew up in a church culture in Durham, North Carolina. And our goal is to go there and reach the unchurched people. I didn't say this earlier, but the Barner Group did a study back in 2017, and they said that the Bay Area is the most unchurched region in America. The most unchurched region in America. So our goal is not to go there and take people from other churches. By the way, some great churches do exist in the Bay Area. You hear a lot of bad things about it, but there are some good Christian people in the Bay Area serving God. There are some great churches. But our goal is not to go there and take people from churches. Our goal is to go there and reach the unchurched population. And so there's going to be, there's going to be somewhat of, a, of an adjustment for us to be able to, to reach out to these people because they're living a life that, I'm not saying we're perfect, it's just a life that's different than what we're used to. But we want to help people cross that chasm. You see, because I believe that there are people that have a desire to be on the other side. I believe there are people, maybe right here in Moses Lake, who they've, they've driven by your church, they've watched your live stream services, they see the excitement that happens every single week at Moses Lake Baptist Church, and they just want to be a part of this local body of believers. They want to be a part of this family. But yet there's some difficulty to get to the other side. Again, maybe they have some heavy baggage. They're going to be stepping out of their comfort zone, but maybe they just need a Barnabas to help them get to the other side. In conclusion tonight, I just want to give you three takeaways. First is this. The bridge needs to be built by someone on the other side. You see here, Paul, I'm sorry, Saul, in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, it says he essayed, he tried. He didn't just join. He didn't just force himself to be a part of what was happening. He attempted to, right? The bridge needs to be built by someone on the other side. That would be you. If you want to help somebody get to this church family, maybe God is going to use you to help that individual cross that chasm, to build that bridge to get to the other side. Second takeaway tonight is this. The bridge should lead to something desirable. The bridge should lead to something desirable. If we got to that bridge there in Beckley, West Virginia, and we looked across to the other side, and, and, and there was, let's say, a grizzly bear, right? I don't think we would go to the other side. That wouldn't be very desirable. Even though there was a bridge there, what was on the other side did not, was not attractive. I was not interested in what was on the other side. And I'm not saying that we should make our churches look like the world to attract the world. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we should offer something desirable. When they look at what we're doing, they should see the hope and the joy and the peace that only comes with Jesus Christ. I'm talking about making it desirable in that way. And by the way, the last seven months, I sure hope that we have shown the world hope. In a world of uncertainty, in a world of doubt, I sure hope that we as Christian people have been people of hope. But even if there is a bridge there to get to their side, it should lead to something desirable. It should lead to something that people would actually want. And that is a relationship with Jesus Christ and all of the fruit that comes with that. And then thirdly, the bridge will always facilitate faster growth. That bridge in Beckley, West Virginia, without it, uh, it, would have, it would have taken a 40-minute drive down. This isn't a hike, a drive down and up the mountain. But that's reduced down to 60 seconds because of the bridge. You see, the bridge always facilitates faster growth. And who knows how the growth of Saul would have been stunted if Barnabas didn't intervene in this situation. If Saul came to Jerusalem and said, I want to be a part of what's going on, 
The disciples didn't believe him. They were afraid of him. If Barnabas wasn't there to intervene and help him get to the other side, who knows what would have happened? Who knows if Saul, later Paul, if he would have done what he did? But because there was a Barnabas to help him cross that chasm, we today can bear the fruit from from Paul's ministry. And so think about that. People in Moses Lake, we're going to go to the San Francisco Bay Area. Mike is going to go to the city that I can't pronounce. But they're going to reach people. And perhaps there are people right here in Moses Lake. Be excited about Ridgecrest. Be involved with Ridgecrest. Be excited about what God's going to do in the Bay Area. And I hope you pray for us. But think about people right here in Moses Lake. Think about people who perhaps want to be a part of this family, this church family. They want to be a part of what's going on here. But there's just this large chasm to cross. Maybe they need you. Maybe they need a Barnabas to help them get to their side. Let's pray, and then I'll hand it over to Pastor. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, every individual in the room tonight is different. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different upbringings. And Lord, some in the room tonight come from a past that perhaps you weren't very involved in. And they got to the point where maybe they were invited by a friend to come to church. Maybe they watched the live stream service, whatever it may be. But Lord, you perhaps had a Barnabas for them. And for all of us in the room tonight, I pray that we would think about people that we know. Think about people in our community. Think about people at our workplace. Think about people at our school who they're longing for the unity and the fellowship that comes with a local body of believers. They want to be a part of something like that. But for many of them, the chasm is so wide and so deep. Lord, I pray that you would give each of us, all of us, an opportunity to be a Barnabas, to be someone that will help that individual or those individuals to get to the other side. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.